Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so... It's not a live broadcast, so please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, this is To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I will be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. So as always, I am the hardline Brexiteer and a true blue conservative, whereas Callum is a Lib Dem and a Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still very good friends. So tonight, we will be asking the following. Are you doing enough to reduce your carbon footprint? How will Theresa May's premiership be remembered? And would you com- would a commitment to voting reform make you change your vote? With each of these discussions being accompanied by a poll, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send in your opinions on the question, would you consider... You- consider using internet dating i would just quickly like to say callum will be here he's just having a couple of technical issues um so he will uh just he will be here soon don't don't worry um you can put up with me for a little while um so remember that question was would you consider using internet dating and you guys have been messaging in with some really really fascinating messages and our first one comes from beth and she says I'm basically on all of the dating apps, but I've never actually gone on a date on them. I don't know why. I just start talking to someone and then it fizzles out because let's be honest, we're teenagers. And do we really want to be dating each other? I think I like the idea of it because you can meet anyone and the odds of talking to someone online feels higher than in real life for some reason. But when it comes to it, nothing ever happens. Well, Beth, I uh, I definitely feel for you here. Um, I'm 22 and I um, am on nearly probably 
all the uh, online dating sites. And I, I do get what you're saying because the I, I do get the the thing where you match with someone, you have that kind of initial excitement and it feels really, really good. Um, and then it really, really does start to fizzle out. And, and you start to think, should I have asked a question or should we meet up? Should we not meet up? Um, I mean, when uh, I was, God, when was it? Probably when I was 15 or 14, 15. I was in a I was in a relationship back then, um, and we we didn't as such really have as many dating sites. Well, and you know, Tinder and, and Bumble and things like that weren't actually really about. Um, so it was more about getting your best friend to go up to uh, a girl you liked or a boy you liked and and asking them to uh, see if they would go on a date with you, um, and then you'd awkwardly hold hands as it goes on. But I, I definitely do sympathise with you uh, how it fizzles out as it progresses on uh, online with uh, dating sites. Our next opinion comes from Harry, and he says, I tried it for a bit of a laugh because my mates were press pursuing me a bit to do it. Um, it was awful. The whole thing felt so fake. But I did go on one date with a girl who turned out to be a complete and utter weirdo. We went for pizza and she sat and didn't say a word throughout the whole meal. She told me that she couldn't understand my accent, even though we were both from London. And she wasn't interested in me because you don't have a car. Like, what was she expecting? I feel like people uh, feel like they can say anything on these apps. And even when you meet them in the real world, because you have no mutual friends. I mean, again, Harry, you make a a uh, a really really good point. Um, but I must I must say, were you not asking her any questions or anything? Uh, I think that's probably the best thing. Uh, maybe a tip I could kind of give on a date is have some like pre-made questions when you go on a date, so you you don't get any you don't get stuck. Um, and it'd be, it's quite interesting that she's saying that she she couldn't understand your accent when you're from London, which is probably i mean it depends what part of london you're from but i would say it's quite a um a, a simple way of of knowing uh, quite a simple accent to understand it's especially if she's from london as well very very strange and i i mean i can suppose i can kind of sympathize with her with uh, not having a car uh i think i'm lucky enough that i do drive but it's uh i can see maybe there's a bit of a put off sometimes when someone doesn't drive um but the interesting thing did she drive who knows? I, I would I would love to know if she was she was driving Harry, um, but maybe next time don't go for a pizza. Go go for uh, bowling or go to the cinema because you don't actually have to talk. Then you just sit there and have to watch a film. You don't have to worry about engaging in conversation. And go go to a horror movie because um, it's better and you can act all brave and macho maybe. Um, our next question or even an opinion comes in from joseph and he says i'm not really the sort of person who would use these sorts of apps i have friends who are on bumble and hinge which is another dating app but none of them are none of them have ever actually dated someone from it it often just ends in tears because even if you've been speaking for weeks how do you know that you're into someone if you've never met them in real in the real world i mean again i think joseph you make a very key point here that the problem with dating apps is that you you can't take someone's face value and it's very hard to actually interpret how people are feeling or how they they meant a text to go across because if you're in a bad mood nine out of ten times you're going to read a text message probably in a different way than it was actually meant to be sent so it can be very hard to interpret what is actually trying to be said and the, the mood around what is being said from these messages um I don't I think maybe sometimes we we are um 
it's quite easy for us to get really enwrapped into online messages and, and, and talking to someone online because it can be quite a if it's the first time you've kind of started talking to someone it's quite a nice way to have those messages you know every morning someone saying good morning to you asking you how you are um but i i do truly think that maybe um when you do start talking to someone on these online dating apps make that point of shall we meet up because you never know when you get to meet someone in person in the real world it might change your opinion of them and who knows you might meet your future wife or husband right okay so remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show but it is now time for the first song break of this evening we'll be back after this break Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So I'm back from my technical difficulties. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for your patience and for George for uh, holding the fort for me. And also, um, it was George's birthday uh, this week, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, so obviously, a happy birthday to George. Now 22 years old, so very, very old man now. <laughs> right, we'll move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, are you doing enough to reduce your carbon footprint? So this past year has seen environmental politics and talk around climate change become its most salient or noticeable. From Sir David Attenborough's Our Planet documentary to record election results for the Green Party of England and Wales, all the way to the Extinction Rebellion protests that divided a nation, it has never been more socially acceptable to be an environmentalist. However, for much of the talk and public acceptance of green politics, you could argue not enough is being done. Global temperatures continue to rise, carbon dioxide emissions hit a record high, and around three quarters of worldwide plastic production ended up as waste, showing the magnitude of work that is still to be done to save the planet. For this discussion, we're going to localise this issue, however, and look at whether you and I as ordinary citizens are doing enough to reduce our own carbon footprint. So, George, do you think you're doing enough to reduce your carbon footprint? Uh, before I answer that question, uh, I just I want to quickly say that I think um, when we talk about uh, reducing carbon footprints and reducing carbon emissions, it's very easy to kind of um, not shed the blame, but pass the baton on who should solve it onto um, local governments and national governments. When I think ultimately we can do so much as individuals when it comes to reducing our carbon footprint as a whole planet, um, you know, even doing small individual things, it can actually truly make a difference if everyone starts doing it. Um, as um, Tesco says, every little helps. Um, and I do I do generally believe that and and unfortunately I wish I could turn around to say to and and answer this question by saying yes I do think I'm doing enough to reduce my carbon footprint but unfortunately I honestly don't think I am um I think I take things 
quite uh, the things I do every day. I don't really think about what I'm doing sometimes. I don't really think about maybe the effects they're having on people or the planet um, in terms of the actions that I'm taking in the way of that I have a plastic bag or that I use plastic products or that I drive everywhere um, or that I don't use homegrown foods or organic foods. And I, I think it's just... I, I think I wish I wish I could be able to say, yeah, I am doing enough. And yeah, I am making sure that I am um, playing my part in, in what should be a a national and individual kind of campaign. Um, but I mean, there are small things that I do. I, I have a bag for life. So when I go and get my lunch, I always use the same bag. Um, <laughs> and if I have a small distance to go, I will walk, believe it or not. I mean, I sometimes drive to work, even though it's sometimes around the corner. Sometimes um, or all the time, George? It depends what the weather's like. <laughs> uh, um, but no, Callum, I have to be honest here and say that I definitely am not doing enough. And I think hopefully from today, I will try and do more for saving the planet. But Callum, as my um, Liberal Democrat friend and a green liberal democrat friend i would like to try and point out do you do enough to reduce your carbon footprint <laughs> set me up for a fool there aren't you George? <laughs> uh no i mean i don't think i probably am doing enough to reduce my carbon footprint i mean i i, I mean i don't drive so i, I don't well you're, I don't, you're learning to drive i am learning to drive but i i don't currently drive so most of the time when i get somewhere it's by public transport, lift by you, George. I know you. <laughs> uh, public transport, uh, walking or cycling. Generally, if I'm under my own kind of um, steamers, as, as yeah. such, uh, that that is how I get around. So I suppose you could say, in a, in a sense, that's good for the environment. But obviously, realistically, once I've learned to drive, which hopefully won't be too long, um, I probably will end up driving around a lot. Um, so, so in that sense, I, I'm not probably doing enough to reduce my carbon footprint um and, and i suppose it's not necessarily linked to um, your actual carbon footprint but in terms of just general looking out for the environment and things like that i i i do try my best in terms of recycling but i'm not you know particularly meticulous always in in terms of you know what what i'm buying whether or not that can be recycled but also you know when, when i've used something making sure that that can be recycled and i think that kind of leads on to a point of of how complicated it can be sometimes to actually reduce your carbon footprint and and kind of by extension of that help the environment as such i mean there's so many kind of unintended knock-on effects that you can have um when you think that you're you know doing something really good um i mean the, the kind of example that always comes to mind with me um it's not something I actually personally do, but is that a lot of people to be a bit more environmentally conscious because obviously uh, meat production leads a lot of, to, to a lot of carbon emissions. A lot of people will then turn to more of a vegan, vegetarian based lifestyle. Um, so maybe they start eating a lot of avocados and obviously avocados are in, in a sense better for the environment than meat production. But then also the kind of cultivation of land to um to grow avocados can lead to deforestation and also you know um other things that maybe should be grown that are more um kind of uh efficient or economical for that use of land aren't being grown because of kind of avocado 
Ocado demand and things like that. So it kind of shows you how you can have almost the best intentions in the world, but sometimes it's really, really difficult to make a change, to be a little bit pessimistic as I such. I think you make a really good point. We, uh, where um, we live, everyone in, in Thanet, we have a vast, a absolutely massive greenhouse um, called, uh, is it Thanet? Pla- no, what's it called? Thanet Earth. There you go. Yeah, Thanet Earth. Um, and it, I mean, it is humongous. And the lights in that place are on 24 7, and the light pollution alone is incredible. Um, and that is essentially all to make sure that we're producing fruit and veg at home in England. So yeah. even though I said earlier, um, look at you, what you're buying in terms of making sure it's being grown in this country. I think essentially maybe if I go into more detail on that, whatever you're buying, make sure it's actually in season in this country because otherwise, you know, if you're buying tomatoes in the middle of December, you can kind of guarantee that they've been grown in a greenhouse that's on 24-7 and that's polluting the country and the world. And I don't I don't believe you're it's essentially helping anything um, by doing that. I, I suppose actually maybe you're you it would be better to buy the ones that that are in season in a different country yeah. or from a different country. Does, um, does, sorry George to interrupt but does yeah. does that almost lead on to the point then that uh, maybe this is more of something that we as individuals can't have as much control over as what governments and businesses can have, because the argument would be of, of how you could make it so that it's kind of carbon efficient to buy tomatoes when they're out of season. Um, so I, they've been grown in the greenhouse would be ensuring that that greenhouse is powered by renewable energy sources. So, yeah. And that strains, strains more into what businesses and governments can do. I mean, what's your kind of response to that, George? I, I think, yeah, you, you, you do uh, truly make a good point in terms that the bigger picture of things and the more business aspects, the more uh, growing of fruit and veg aspect is, does come down to a government level. But when we're talking about things like recycling and using plastic bags and walking more and driving less i think that yeah. it does come down to a more individual area and and i would say that like i said earlier you know even though you're one person probably doing one thing and you're thinking to yourself how the hell is this helping i do believe that somewhere on the line it is helping the environment and the planet yeah yeah no i mean i completely agree with that just one question i had for you george was who do you think should bear the most responsibility in reducing the carbon footprint? Do you think it should be the government? Should it be businesses? Or do you think it should be individuals that that kind of bear the most uh, hardship, as it were? Um, I, I think ultimately it should, we should all take an equal chunk of this because um, the only way we're going to solve this is is by working together and by ensuring that we are, as people electing a, a party or government that is going to respect our environment and inspect our uh, respect our planet and by using businesses that will be uh again respecting our planet and respecting the environment so i, I don't believe it, it's any um it proves any justice in terms of pointing a finger just to one organization or in uh, or uh, kind of establishment when I think it's right to say that we should all take a equal level of responsibility when it comes to this. And yes, I know businesses and, and the government can make more of an impact in terms of what they can introduce and do. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, if we all did something, then it would it would we would definitely see a significant change. But but what, what do you think on that? Do you think it is right that we do kind of highlight one area of a certain platform of industry? 
Um, well, I, I think personally, realistically, and, and you've kind of highlighted it, George, but government and, and businesses really should be bearing the most brunt of this because ultimately we can only buy what's on the shelf. And I know you can you can say, oh, well, there's consumer power and things like that. But being realistic, you know, generally boycotting of goods hasn't really worked on an individual basis. It's more sanctions that would work in in that kind of sense. Um, but I think then we do also have to acknowledge that as individuals that we do have a responsibility, as you said, to do things in our everyday life, but also to when the government or, or even businesses are doing something that is good for the environment, but maybe isn't as good for us as a consumer, Sometimes maybe we should look at a bigger picture and say, uh, OK, that's fine. Uh, example being um, when President Macron um, wanted to do the the kind of fuel tax, um, which was aimed at trying to kind of wean uh, France off of using fossil fuel powered fuels, uh, fossil fuels rather. That, um, <laughs> forgot the word. Uh, yeah. Um, rather than using that, he was trying to wean them off of that. But but because of such the public outcry about this, which obviously, in a sense, was justified because it was probably hurting the lowest or the people with the lowest income most. But even so, maybe if people would, could have seen the bigger picture of that, that policy would have stood and then France would be more on its way to reducing its carbon footprint. So I think it, ultimately, you're right, George, we do all have to bear some responsibility for this for certain yeah absolutely right then um so george just very quickly actually how do you think this poll is going to go i think if people are honest i think it's going to say no um yeah. but i think if people are maybe kidding themselves it's going to be a yes <laughs> yeah i think it'll be no i i trust our listeners to be nice and honest Oh, uh, right then, uh, we've reached time for our second song of this evening. But remember to vote on this poll. Are you doing enough to reduce your carbon footprint? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk for us listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. Before the break, we asked, are you doing enough to reduce your carbon footprint? And 19% of you said, yes, you are, compared to 81% of you that said, no, you aren't. George, are you surprised by kind of how high actually the yes vote is? Because I am. I was expecting about 5% at most on that, to be honest. Um, I... Not, yeah, no, I am actually. I am quite surprised. But I, it, it, it's... it's <laughs> Sound uh, it. It's it's nice to see though. Um, I'm pleased that there are 90% of people that of our listeners that are um, feel that they are doing enough to uh, reduce your carbon footprint. But I mean, then I ask the question: Are we ever going to do enough? Who knows? Mm, yeah, we'll nice, see. We'll see. Nice depressing little statement there. Um, <laughs> right. Let's move on to our third discussion of this evening, and we're asking the question: How will Theresa May's premiership? be remembered. So it seems like a very long time ago that Theresa May stepped down as Prime Minister and our new Prime Minister came into office. Everyone's focus is currently on how well Mr Johnson is doing in number 10, whether he will deliver Brexit and whether he will survive past the 31st of October. It is very hard to predict the future, especially when it comes to politics. But we can reflect, but what we can reflect on 
is the time that Mrs May had in office. We want to know how you think her premiership will be remembered out of these options. So, stern and passionate, a Brexit nightmare, weak and pathetic, strong and stable, or other. But before we obviously put the vote to you, gorgeous people, um, we have to put it to my ugly co-host, Callum Gurr. What, <laughs> what do you think, Callum? Oh, absolutely charming. Just because I'm not going to be very nice to Theresa May now, you call me oh, ugly. Well, not I have very to nice at all. <laughs> oh, so, uh, <laughs> so I think Theresa May's uh, premiership will ultimately be remembered as a Brexit nightmare. Um, I, I think you, you'd be hard pressed not to say that Brexit's going to be the defining issue of her premiership because ultimately it was it was what got her into number ten, and it was actually what got her out of number ten as well. Brexit. Um. So so of course her how we remember her is going to be defined by that. I think and and um ultimately I think that Theresa May's undoing was was Brexit. You know, um, she went in, say, kind of and boxed herself in. She said, no deal is better than a bad deal. Um, and then she either kind of done a big U-turn on this, where she suddenly realised that, that this uh, wasn't true, or she was lying in the first place and she had to ultimately, like, ha- end her bluff as such. And ultimately, she ended up arguing that a deal is better than no deal as such which obviously i i would suggest is correct but but what that led to i think is that it kind of gave a legitimacy to this position um of no deal being better than a bad deal which played into the erg led by uh, jacob reese mogg but also boris johnson's hand and ultimately uh, ended her premiership, but also handed Boris Johnson the keys to number 10. It was why Jeremy Hunt always faced such a difficult task, because Theresa May had done this, backed herself into a corner and legitimised um, people calling for like a no-deal Brexit. Um, and that also then fed into, I think, almost everything else that she did, um, because the focus and the energy was always on that that she as she did try her best to tackle these kind of burning injustices that she talked about when she first became uh, prime minister but i think because so much of the energy got focused on that i mean with the withdrawal agreement coming to the house multiple times and being rejected and things like this it it just meant that she, although she did have some achievements and i won't deny that they're all really overshadowed in people's consciousness by this Brexit and the fact that she couldn't get that through. Um, but I'm sure, George, you're going to have a bit of a different answer to me. So what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I'm just uh, gratefully happy that you didn't go for weak and pathetic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is honestly what I, I kind of thought you were going to go for there. But uh, I, I'm glad you only went for a Brexit nightmare, which, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously you... Uh, I have correctly said a lot of people might indeed go for. Um, I'm I'm absolutely going to stay away from strong and stable because um, <laughs> it's it's something that the Conservative Party now shiver at whenever we hear someone say strong and stable in the same sentence. Um, we run a mile. Um, the country does as well. To be fair, <laughs> that's very true. It got forced down everyone's vote. At, oh God, throat so many times. Yeah, um, but. I'm I'm going to take the standpoint that I 
hope and believe that she will be remembered for being stern and passionate. Um, I, I think it certainly became clear when she did her last speeches as prime minister um, outside number 10 and at uh, the House of Commons how passionate she was and how much she how much it meant to her being in the position that she was in and i i truly believe she wasn't she didn't take every day um that being there as, as you know she wasn't that she didn't take it as a privilege she knew she was there to do a job that i mean yes she didn't do but um she <laughs> she, she was she had a lot of passion for her country and she truly loves her country and i and i honestly felt for her so much when she was talking and she her voice started to crack up um and you could tell she was actually truly upset and and I did I felt upset as well um for her leaving because I truly believe if Brexit was never issue she would have been um an even better prime minister and and I think the reason why I also say she's stern is because she had to deal with the likes of Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg and um, the staunch Brexiteers that kept going behind her back and stabbing her in the back. And no matter how many knives got stabbed in her back, she got up and she carried on and she kept doing her job. And I mean, every single time, um, whatever happened with Brexit, you would see in the newspapers, this is Theresa May's last days. And she wouldn't give up. She wouldn't give in. And she kept driving yeah. on. Whether that was right or wrong, that's for you to make up. But she still kept going. And I I, I do believe she can take some triumph out of that and truly can walk away from her time in number 10 and say, look, although I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve and I went into office in terms of Brexit, I did still stand up to those that wanted to stab me in the back. And, you know, the joke of the matter is, is that I keep seeing all these things on Twitter and everything saying if it wasn't for Theresa May, we wouldn't see the likes of the Brexit party and we wouldn't see the Lib Dems have won the by-election because Brexit would have been would have happened, yada, yada. Well, I, I call utter rubbish on that because personally, I would say that if the true Brexiteers, supposedly Brexiteers, voted for the withdrawal agreement, then Brexit would have happened and we wouldn't be in the situation we are today. Um, so, you know, I... I I do truly believe that um, she was stern and passionate. And I think a lot of people should remember her in that light in how um, and also her her um, interactions were with uh, Jeremy Corbyn over the dispatch box. I think as time went on, she got so much better at those. And every, and a lot yeah. of the time she absolutely trounced um Jeremy Corbyn over that dispatch box and it, I, I loved watching PMQs with her there because she just I don't know she had a very good way of, of getting a message across and she was very good at not raising her voice unlike Jeremy Corbyn who just shouts excuse me so yeah I, I definitely hope and would like to think that when our um, our children Callum are sitting there in in history and learning about Theresa May it will say in there that she was stern and passionate it whilst going through a Brexit nightmare. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you are right that she was she was passionate, obviously, and she did. Um, I think she did understand what a, a huge kind of honour that she had to to serve as prime minister of this country. Um, but I would say that also um, she was fairly weak, and I, I think prophetic's maybe a, a, a slightly harsh word. 
as such, but she she was weak in, in her role as well. I think, um, you know, collective responsibility as a cabinet, as a government kind of broke down during her leadership. You know, uh, if we think about um, David Davis and Dominic Raab, Ra- resigning after kind of pledging their support to her, uh, Gavin, Gavin Williamson as well, um, and, and kind of the numerous cabinet resignations that we saw throughout her premiership and, and as you say, the backstabbing that we saw. But um, in a sense, she was the leader, so she should have given them a reason not to have stabbed her in the back effectively um and and also i think another real sign of weakness there was that when she called that snap election in 2017 she refused to appear in a tv election debate and sent amber rudd instead um and i mean if you can't base the the public if you can't face um scrutiny in terms of a debate then i'm sorry that's a sign of weakness and that you don't believe in your policies and and what you're trying to do and and i think to a lot of people, and I don't think that's actually what she did, but to a lot of people, I think that showed a lot of contempt for uh, the kind of electorate and the public process in which we've now come to expect um, elections to to be held under. And so I think a lot of people were very disappointed in that as well. Um, and what result do you think is going to come out on top? Uh, Brexit nightmare, I think. What about you? Well, I, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed with stern and passionate um because <laughs> oh, ultimately she's she's an absolutely lovely lady in person and um i'm sure she is just not a very good prime minister i i, I wish she'd be better than any lib them uh, uh, well, we haven't had one for a while so well i wonder why um anyway so, <laughs> so remember um you can vote on this question how will theresa may's premiership be remembered and the options are stern and passionate a brexit nightmare weak and pathetic strong and stable or other and you could do that on wizard uk forward slash listen and we'll be back before you even know it Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, how will Theresa May's premiership be remembered? And as always, you guys have been voting away and I don't really want to read these out. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) the results are CERN and Passionate got 21%, Brexit Nightmare got 36%, Weak and Pathetic got 24%, Strong and Stable got 5% and Other got 14%. So it was a clear win there for CERN and Passionate. Passionate, <laughs> yeah, of course, George. Of course, I mean, I think those strong and stable people might have just done that in a banter timeline. Yeah, I think, I think they just to be honest, to, did it to wind me up. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Well done. <laughs> right, <laughs> time to move on to our fourth discussion of this evening, and we are asking the question: Would a commitment to voting reform make you change your vote? So when talking about politics, many people's disdain and distrust of the field is because they bemoan the fact their vote isn't worth anything or won't change anything. In fact, a recent poll by campaign group Hope Not Hate found that over two thirds of the British public feel they are not represented by the main political parties. Based upon this, you'd think a party that committed to making sure people's votes are worth more in a more proportional voting system would get a strong level of public support. However, Labour and the Conservatives continue to win general elections despite their commitment to maintain the current system. 
This would suggest voting reform is not a real deal breaker for most people, and that it won't persuade people to change their voting habits. George, my conservative voting friend, <laughs> what do you think? Do you think a commitment to voting reform could make you change your vote, even temporarily? Temporarily? Temporarily, uh, yes. It's a good word. Um, no. That is a, a word, George, but yeah, carry no. on. Sorry. Um, no, I, it wouldn't at all. Um, I think what it's proved is that even though the Lib Dems um, and other um, parties like the Green Party, and um, I, I think it proves that people aren't just voting on one factor. And, and I don't think that it's something that is as you know, jailbreaking as probably Brexit. Um, but it's not to say it's not as important as Brexit, because as as we all know, I'm someone that does um, support a change in voting reform. And I do believe that we do need a fairer system in place to ensure that people have the right representation. And unfortunately, I think the system we currently have doesn't do that. Um, but I, I don't feel that I could j just lend my vote to another party when um, just for that reason, I, I feel that I would like to hope that one day my party will implement will implement it and have it as a policy. And I, and I do believe there are a lot of younger people, a lot of um, different minded people now being part of the Conservative Party that also believe what I believe. Yeah. So I do think that we are starting to see change. And I also think the Labour Party, with how poorly they're doing in the polls at the moment, um, will actually start to maybe favour it as well, because it might be the only way they keep seats in Parliament. Um, but who who knows? Uh, I know I wouldn't change my vote. But Callum, I'm going to ask that to you. If four years or three years down the line, down the line when the next uh, or two years down the line when the next general election is expected. Do you think um, and the Lib Dems took that off their manifesto and the Conservatives put it on? Would you vote for the Tory party then? <laughs> no, I'd vote for the Green Party, probably. or some, oh, no. Someone else. Um, well, unless you had a complete overhaul of your policies. Um, <laughs> then I may consider voting for you. And to be fair, I think if in this timeline you did end up wanting voting reform, then that would suggest that something has drastically changed about the Conservative Party. So so maybe I could vote for you then. But yeah, I, I, I'll be the Conservative I, Party leader. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, George. Hopefully that nightmare <laughs> won't happen. Um, <laughs> but... Um, so I think that ultimately answers the thing that no, a commitment to voting forms, not reforms, not the kind of only thing that I would base my vote on. I wouldn't change my vote just because of that, uh, because there's many parties that are committed to voting reform, basically any party that doesn't benefit from first past the post. Um, although I think the SNP are in favour of voting reform and they do benefit a lot from first past the post at the moment. Um, but just kind of to pick up on the fact, George, you said there's a lot of young conservatives now who are in favour of voting reform. Sounds amazing. The cynical part of me thinks that as soon as they become MPs, they won't want voting reform anymore because A, it protects their job. Um, and B, it's very much entrenched within the Conservative Party. It would be almost political suicide within the Conservative Party, I would think, to voice um a desire for a more proportional system. I mean, will you still, if you become an MP, George, favour voting reform? Um, I will. Um, God, it's, it's on record now. Um, <laughs> if I do become an MP, 
I will still fight for voting reform because I, I, I hopefully, even if I, I'm an MP, um, hopefully my beliefs won't change to that dramatically and I and I will still want to make sure we have full representation for the people that elect us into that position um, and do you know what whether it means that I lose my seat then it means I lose my seat if it means that people are better representate represented then so be it um, unfortunately oh. I think uh, we are in a time where we have career politicians and not politicians that actually serve their constituents and I believe I'd be an MP that would serve my constituents. I feel like I'm doing my own like speech here to, to vote for me. Yeah, it did start to sound like it that did, a little it? bit. Um, do you think, George, with this question then, do you think um, our listeners will change their votes based upon a commitment to voting reform? Um, I'm going to say definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no is going to be pretty high, I would think. Uh, right then, we've reached um, time to go on to our final song break of this evening, but don't forget to vote on this part. Would a commitment to voting reform make you change your vote? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk for us listen, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked, would a commitment to voting reform make you change your vote? And you guys have been voting away. A very surprising lot of results this one. So 42% of you said yes, uh, commitment to voting reform would make you change your vote, uh, compared to 58% of you that said no, it wouldn't. I mean, George, I'm astounded by how high the yes uh, vote is. Are you, George? Yeah, no, I absolutely am. I mean, God, maybe times are looking up for the Lib Dems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I said, though, I mean, the trouble is, I would I would say uh, vote Lib Dem, which obviously everyone's welcome to go and vote Lib Dem. <laughs> but, um, that I would have to then qualify that and say, well, I suppose the Greens, UKIP, maybe even the Brexit Party um, are, are in favour of voting reform. As I said, pretty much everyone but the Tories and Labour are. So just <laughs> don't vote for them. You know, we'll, we'll change this country that way. <laughs> Right then, uh, thanks very much for listening to Be Discussed with Cup and Gur. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question, what more can be done to protect and extend transgender rights? And you can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember, the question is, what more can be done to protect and extend transgender rights? And we're looking forward to, as always, hearing your opinion next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So as always, I've been, I'm getting a new show next week by myself, George Lawrence Cat. <laughs> And I've been the technically um, absent Callum Gert. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode to be discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.